0: Well, good morning. It's a real pleasure to be here in our family together, uh, looking at God's word and um, how it applies to us. Um, For this Sunday, there were actually four different texts to choose from. And um, after quickly scanning them a few weeks ago, I was inclined to preach on the Isaiah passage that you saw before. Well, that was at least until Jeannie preached last week on Toma, the Doubter, and then asked me how my road to Emmaus message was coming along, (laughs) to which I answered after a short hesitation that it will come quite well. (laughs) I mean, after all, how can we, the people of Emmaus Anglican Church, skip such a passage in the lectionary? It's not just our namesake passage, but such a true gift to everyone. As you'll see, it's loved by bibliophiles and by evangelists, but also by contemplatives and of course by sacramental Christians. What is there not to love in a passage that historically was considered to represent the very Christian walk, a template for the very Christian walk from salvation to growth to evangelism? Nothing, of course. Yet in this very well-known passage, I pray that uh, God may reveal to us treasures new and old, as Matthew 15 says. So let's just pray as we start. Dear Lord, I pray that um, the words that come from my mouth, the meditation of our hearts uh, will be pleasing in your eyes, in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. So just like no house should be considered apart from its neighborhood, no Bible passage should be considered in isolation. And I feel that here, even maybe more than in other cases, the context seriously matters. In keeping with our season, immediately following Easter and before the ascension, we linger in the events immediately following the resurrection of our Lord. It's as if we don't want to leave that unique time and get on with our daily grind, or as they call it in the church calendar, the ordinary time. The traditional 40-day Eastertide season between the resurrection and the ascension is marked by several appearances of our Lord, at least eight distinct ones to be exact. Some make 10 out of them, I don't know how. Um, It's easy to think of these appearances in Two groups, the early ones that happened in the first couple of days following the resurrections and the later ones nearing his ascension. We realize that the early encounters happened during an absolutely terrible time for the disciples, a time of massive pain, sadness, and particularly confusion. Not only all seemed to be lost to them, but nothing made any sense. It's in this exact context that the road to Emmaus events happen, still on D-Day, Easter Sunday, the first day of the week after the crucifixion. Not only was this unknown Cleopas and his friend, or maybe his spouse, still reeling from the weekend's events, but from the perspective of that moment, the glorious resurrection was just an insult added to injury. On top of everything else, the body of the rabbi had been stolen, or somehow disappeared. So the atmosphere was quite gloomy during their their slow seven-mile walk, probably back home. And this is when Jesus appears. Not as some sort of a show protagonist, not some triumphal entrance, but simply joining the distressed couple in their mundane activities. The Emmaus Pass passage has the two well-known parts, main parts, the walk and talk part, followed by the home visit and dinner part. Without a doubt, the first part is the one that stands out. After all, here we might have witnessed, if we were like a fly on a wall, a once-in-a-lifetime sermon by Jesus, about Jesus, serving the entire Old Testament and explaining, interpreting, the scriptures that had predicted his life, death, and resurrection. This must be every preachers, apologists, and evangelists model and dream, being able to dispel all biblical misunderstanding and doubt through scripture itself, sola scriptura. The second part of the episode is a lot more quiet, mundane, low key. By the time the three, tra- the three travelers get to the disciples' home, Jesus seems to want to continue on the journey, but they convince him to stay over for supper. When supper is ready, and that may have taken a while, he prays the usual Jewish prayer for breaking the bread. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, lehem min haaretz, blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And yet, despite the very mundane nature of the second part of the encounter, it is here that the ultimate miracle happens. The eyes of the two disciples are opened and they recognize Jesus. They don't just recognize him, they're fully transformed by their discovery. The sad, gloomy, confused, bunch of disciples immediately abandoned their warm dinner and become early evangelists they actually vita just reminded me they made the road back the same seven miles at night without having had the supper because i think they dropped it there um, just to become the or to keen to tell everyone about the lord who was risen Now let's show down, let's, let's slow down a bit, oh my goodness, I've actually got, uh, I printed this by mistake uh, on one of those forms, so, so if I can, I'll see how this goes. It's just one page. <laughs> let's slow down a bit at this age, At this stage and ponder this whole recurrent leitmotif of the risen Jesus not being recognized at first for who he was. It happened, after all, to Mary at the tomb thinking it was the gardener. It happened by the Sea of Tiberias, by the disciples returned to their old fishing jobs. It happened here during the breaking of bread. I will not try to address here all the possible reasons why all these individuals were unable to recognize the Lord at first. We're simply not told how the resurrected Jesus looked like compared to the earthly Jesus or to what extent in in this current instance, the the disciples uh, were, uh, what does this say, Um, were were actually prevented from seeing him. What I would like to ponder, however, instead, is what made them recognize the Lord. In every instance, the aha moment seemed to happen as they spent time in his presence and communed with him. Mary hears Jesus' intimate voice calling her by name. The fishers do what they've always done, but this time in Jesus' presence. And Cleopas and his companion break bread and eat with Jesus. Interestingly, none of these events involve significant information exchange, study, or contemplation, only the simple presence of God how this reminds me of first king 19 where god was not found in the earthquake nor in the fire but in the gentle breeze or isaiah 6 where the revelation of god in his temple surrounded by worshiping seraphs led the prophet to the famous woe to me cry recognizing of his own utter sinfulness quickly followed by full commitment to service Not that in any way, the word of God was not essential. All these events were immersed in, permeated by the word, either the written, spoken, or simply acted word. But this word seemed to open them all to the presence of God. And that's where they recognized him. That's where the key transformation happened. About six months ago, I went through a difficult spiritual time in my life for a variety of reasons too hard to disentangle. I felt my faith seriously wavering with mounting doubts, confusion, and of course, isolation. I didn't feel like attending church. I became bitter, even questioned my own faith of almost 40 years. In my struggle, I felt stuck in various theological issues mostly surrounding the inerrancy of the Word of God. I knew well that this was hardly a good place to be in, so I decided that what I needed was theological clarity. I needed to speak to someone, maybe an unnamed theologian in our own community, to hash out these challenges. Yet while the opportunity to discuss with this person seemed to be repeatedly delayed, a little voice within me started saying, just go to church and be there. Maybe God is there. So I went. A very regular service with very usual good music worship and a very good sermon that I don't recall. Yet in the ordinariness of that church service, Like in Isaiah's barely perceptible breeze, I met him. Gentle, quiet, ordinary, he was there. And like the gentle soaking of water in a sponge, like petals of a flower opening slowly, I felt his spirit fill me, revive me, restore to me the joy of his salvation in the words of King David in psalm 51. And guess what? Imperceptibly, all that need to hash out theological issues simply vanished, became strangely unimportant. Sensing Christ back in my heart, my brain hardly needed any arguments. What about us, the Montréal-Emmeus community? What does the journey to Emmaus tell us at this particular juncture of our own journey. It's interesting that a theological disagreement between two factions of the Anglican church was responsible for our more recent loss, which if we're to be honest with ourselves, did leave many of us like the disciples after the Lord's death, sad, hurting, and confused. Early on, attempts from the outside to set us doctrinally clear met with relatively limited success. Instead, our own leaders decided that what we needed was to experience the Lord together, learn together, share what his word meant to each of us, and receive his healing and guidance as a community of faith. And here we are, close to a year since Trevor left, thriving as a church, enjoying hearing the word through our people, I hope this one included, and worshiping him with peaceful hearts. Like the disciples breaking bread in Emmaus, we have come to recognize our Lord and his presence in our midst. And it has left us changed. At least for some of us, pain, for I hope many of us, pain and confusion have given place to joy and calm. Similarly to those few dozen disciples who saw the resurrected Lord, we're not yet out of the storms, nor can we predict where exactly God will lead us next. But one thing we're still confident of, that, in the words of Psalm 27, 13, we will 13, we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. As I consider today's passage altogether, I, can, I can't help but marvel at how Jesus always meets us where we are, mistaken, confused, fearful, or sad. He always comes along at that personal point of need. But he also doesn't ever just leave us there. His word and above all, his presence transform us and bring us to a place of healing and peace. Rest assured, my dear friends, that he will will meet you, meet us where we are. Our only task is to recognize him in our midst, then simply to abide in his presence and patiently await his healing. In the words of Isaiah 41, 10, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand.